Welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm a research and policy analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As regular listeners will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. There's our SJI 10 Minute Lesson series, which aims to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving a brief overview of somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes and hitting on the key points that people need to know. There's our seminar series, which provides opportunities to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. And our SJI interview series, where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas. This is one of those. This week, we're joined by Daniel Lambert, the CEO of Bohemians Football Club, to chat about, amongst other things, climate justice, social inclusion, making a difference and the importance of community. We hope you enjoy it. For listeners who, we have a lot of international listeners, so anybody who lives outside of D7, can you just give us a potted history maybe of the football club, Daniel? Yes, but Bohemians was uh, founded in September uh, 1890, over 130 years ago. And it was, uh, we were set up originally in the Phoenix Park in Dublin, where pe- people might know if they've been to Dublin, by a group of medical students. And the club, what was uh, unique, a couple of things unique when they established the club initially. The first is the name. Normally, uh, football clubs have geographical names. You know, when you think of loads of examples, Dundalk, Shelburne FC, set up in Shelburne Road, you know, all the rest, Derry City, Sligo Rovers. So they chose a name that was highly unusual in that it more encapsulated, I suppose, a way of life in terms of Bohemian Football Club and a, and a term that's kind of a more of an international term than a local term. And linked to that, I suppose, the, the structure of the club that they established was a, a cooperative uh, member-owned club uh, with one member, one vote, and not-for-profit from the start and an entirely democratic model that uh, sought to, uh, you know, to just basically invest in, in the game. The original Memo on Arts is quite interesting too because it talks about dancing and running and, and seem, they seem to want to encapsulate quite a lot of things and have a focal point for a community rather than just a, a model of a, of a football club that played football and had an owner. That's the bit that kind of interests me is that, I mean, I don't know anything about running a football club. I should caveat that from the very beginning, but that a lot of the work that you're doing doesn't seem integral to the running of a football club. So you've got, say, the, the sure kit that was designed for, you've got two particular pieces of kit that have been linked to charities. So there's the Maasai one, the Refugees Welcome one for Maasai, and then the one in conjunction with Fontaines and Focus. So I suppose the question is, why? Like, what's the impetus behind that? Why, do, why does the football club feel the need, I suppose, to get involved in these kind of initiatives? I suppose where are these things in recent years, I suppose, it's important to point out around 20, 2011, 2012, the club had, had severe financial problems and it was coming out really the, the kind of boom and bust in, in Ireland and the, the property uh, bubble and things. And because we're, we're members own club, you know, a new kind of group of people, they, they were elected to the, to the board of the club and we were very restricted in terms of how we could operate. Things were really tough. And what we began to look at was why the club was established and where its strength came from. And ultimately for the club to prosper and to grow it depends on a large community of people. Ultimately, the, the, we, we operate in an ecosystem and that ecosystem is, is Dublin 7 and it's Dublin and it's Ireland and it, and it can be global, actually. The more people that have a positive view towards Bohemians, you know, the more likely they are to get involved with the club, whether that's to buy a season ticket or come to games or volunteer or buy a shirt. And they're the people that we depend upon. It's, it's a two-way relationship. So whereas other football clubs have a private benefactor or a, or a, you know, or, or a corporation that owns them, which is now highly topical in the news at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, they don't really depend on a group of people 
they depend mm-hmm. on a person or a, a business. So semen from that, I suppose, uh, you know, the club has always been inclusive uh, and by nature. The fact that it's a member's own club, it's always been something that's owned equally. To, I suppose to connect the club properly to the, commu- to the community it exists within, it's important to highlight issues, social issues and issues that the community faces as a, as a collective. And that's where those two initiatives would have come from. And lots of other work. We've done a lot of work with migrants, you know, for almost a decade now, really. I remember stuff in 2013, 2014, 2015, with, with Massey uh, working kind of fan-led activities. And we've worked with the homeless for a long number of years for a foundation, various, various ways. So it's just, yeah, I suppose it's important as a football club that we use football as a force for good because football has, has, great, uh, has great power because, you know, football, it attracts huge amount of people to it and they it's the one thing left where people can can kind of connect with their football club for their whole life whereas they mm-hmm. might have disengaged with the church they might not be in a union they might have a transient uh, work situation with jobs that might not they're, they're jobs that might be quite opaque and it's hard to derive meaning from um, and the same with housing like you know so so difficult in dublin to have a, a secure housing situation so a, a lot of people's lives are in flux mm-hmm. football club they might like a like me like most people at football club you follow the football club from when you can remember as a small child to when when you die and if the club football club is bringing forward kind of positive messages that that resonates with people and it's heard um, and it breaks through the noise of you know non-stop media from other locations because people really they have an emotional connection to their club and that brings me i suppose then to, to the next t-shirt that caught my eye which was the one in support of gay pride and i suppose it's an acknowledgement that the terraces and team sports in general aren't known for their inclusion, I suppose, of, of, of LGBTQ plus people. So that was, again, that kind of struck me. That was quite unusual. Yeah, and that again, like... Same thing. Yeah, coming from the club being inclusive, I think the marriage equality referendum, I think it was 2015, I'm struggling to remember now, it was around that time. And, and uh, as a club, we decided to come out in support of that referendum. And there was at the time, I remember, like sporting bodies and clubs tend to avoid anything like that because they they worry that could be political. And even though this was a, a referendum, which seems like by default is political, we kind of decided now this isn't a political issue; it's a human rights issue, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that the club should stand in support of that. And what was really interesting about that was shortly afterwards, or around that time, a group of fans who are already Bohemians fans who are from the LGBT plus community. You know, it seems, you know, you look back now that they they definitely uh, respected the club's stance and then they were more public as a fan group and uh, they're called Gay Bows, which is brilliant. brilliant. And they have their own flags and and they've uh, they've actually went to European conferences in terms of the, the LGBT plus space in football. Because like you've said, yeah, football, it, there's never been an openly gay footballer. Mm. Amazing statistic. And what a terrible one, because of course there's gay footballers. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and obviously the, the, the only reason you can derive from that is that... Uh, they don't feel comfortable coming out mm. and that's that's t- terrible to think that and i think clubs need to do more that's a space where football clubs really need to do more and team sports in general and again you know it kind of back to the club's values and ethos and people who set up the club you know you'd imagine that this is these are issues that they would have felt were important again to to connect with the community exists within and to be inclusive as a football club i suppose to, to kind of pick up on those bits then the community sports inclusion you have a link now with DCU, which is the university closest to your grounds there that focuses on social inclusion, social outreach and using football as a way of doing that. How did that come about? It came about, we've, we've had connections with DCU for a long number of years, but really what it, what it 
kind of focus around initially was we've a growing number of League of Ireland teams, teams that play at quite a high level through, you know, from fairly young age groups right up. And we were looking for a new kind of training base where they'd operate from. So we began that discussion. And then the more we spoke to DCU, what became apparent was that was one area where, where we needed something that was just transaction. It was we needed a good quality training base and we were willing to pay for that. And there's lots of options in, in that space. And DCU were, were one of the potential partners. But the more we spoke to DCU and we realized that they're a big university in the local area, that they do a lot of outreach work and so do we. And they have similar values and ethos in terms of being accessible, being inclusive. And we began to kind of, you know, broaden out the conversation from just facilities to see how we could work together in terms of improving participation across the board, whether that's female participation, whereas people with disabilities, we've, we've got an amputee team at Bohemians. We're looking at establishing a blind team whether that's people from disadvantaged backgrounds or people who don't traditionally get involved in, in sport. We have a separate program called Football Unites, where we work with migrant children and adults to get them involved, or whether that's people from, you know, socioeconomic backgrounds where they find, you know, just an economic barrier to entry in terms of football. These are things that DCU already do as a university, and which we do as a football club. When you can combine the two, there's a lot of power there again, like just in more stakeholders you can bring in, whether it's Amnesty International on the Refugees Welcome Shirt or Massey or DCU, we find that, you know, in any of these activities, by combining like-minded partners who, who are coming at things for the right reason, you just multiply your, your reach and your potential kind of ability to improve people's lives through sports. So that's that's an 18-year partnership. And uh, we're literally just in the first six months of it. And it's really exciting that we can... CCU are, are so open to, to engaging with us on lots of levels. There's an awful lot to come from that. One extraordinary thing is the climate justice officer position. That's very unusual for a football club. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, it would be. And, and um, I suppose, you know, we began to look uh, earlier this year, like ultimately, like climate's a huge issue. It probably it transcends all other issues, really, and that it, it impacts everybody, whether whatever your, you know, persuasion, whether, you know, whatever race, whatever religion, whatever political persuasion, climate will impact upon everybody. And young people, and rightly so, they really care about this as an issue. And Sean McCabe, who we appointed as the climate officer, he's a club member highly qualified in this area he's worked at the united nations and worked with mary robinson you know it's just true conversations with sean really he, he he's really in terms of sean when he talks about climate justice it's about the people who ultimately are i won't say to blame but people who have for the most part caused the climate emergency are the people who will impact upon least because they tend to have the biggest financial resource sean's looking at how we can how we can and initially through sport but in general you know what he talked about say for instance you know increasing tax on fuel mm. is a sensible idea for climate change but ultimately it's the person who can't afford a new car yeah. that ends up footing the bill and he's trying to get, change that process and you know some practical things we discussed is and it's been done outside of ireland is community energy schemes and sean's the expert on this i'm, I'm just rehashing what, what he's told me when he talked about the design of our new stadium or new develop a new redevelopment uh, daily mount where for instance solar panels can be put on the ceilings and that can be the, that energy can be democratized in the local area to assist people equally who maybe have challenges around paying for for power or you know are, are economically deprived so i think uh sean's role it's already we're brilliant contacts we've we're meeting with barcelona on the 30th of april and then we're meeting with a club called forest green rovers this friday who are a club in, in the uk who are really proactive in this and uh again it's just using a football club as something that people connect themselves with to, to link into other areas just to be a platform and the opportunities are, are endless. Like as a club, we, we have a choir, we have a club poet, we've got an artist group. And the more of these things, but they don't really seem like, oh, how are they connected to football? The football club is just a community of people. That's all, all it is. And, and if it can link that community of people together, 
in ways that some people may not be interested in the climate justice officer and may not be interested in, you know, work we do with Massey. Uh, and they may just be there for the football. And that's that's still there. But by engaging in these activities, I think that we 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 were able to engage people through football in other ways as well. And, that, and that's a positive thing. That's even even when I was kind of sitting down to to figure out this podcast, I thought it's a bit like that sort of six degrees of Kevin Bacon. How do I get from Social Justice Island to Bohemians Football Club in six moves? And it's very easily done because it's the same language. It's community advocacy, it's grassroots, it's social inclusion, it's the marginalised, the most vulnerable. It's exactly the same language that we're using. Because, you know, football is considered to be a, a men's primary activity. But even even things like when they say that women talk face to face and men talk shoulder to shoulder and you know kind of to mirror the, the work done with a men's sheds to have a space where men do stand shoulder to shoulder and can maybe have conversations about things that they wouldn't normally otherwise have is is an amazing avenue i suppose for for those sort of conversations to take place so as you said it's the ripple effect of what you're doing it's that putting the stone in the water and seeing what happens um, yeah, definitely. And I think I've kind of come to use this. I don't know where it came from, but like ultimately, I think a lot of people maybe who are football fans might read the back page and not the front page, you know? Yeah. Very often when we, when we, whether it's the climate justice officer or other activities we get involved in, these stories, because they're different, tend to find their way into the sports press. And whether that's in, in it's happened globally now, but whether it's just in, in Ireland or, you know, Euro News, for instance, did a piece on the Refugees Welcome shirt, and I think that they have an audience of 60 million or something. Wow. And you can find yourself reaching groups of people who maybe otherwise wouldn't engage with an issue. And like you've said, talking shoulder to shoulder, I, f- I really do believe that there's really positive things, like the marriage equality referendum, like our work with migrants, that young Bohemians fans, and, and probably in particular young male fans who, who have come to, to Daily Mount to enjoy football and who have a great love for the club. And, and you know, and this opens their eyes maybe to issues that, that they otherwise wouldn't be be you know be engaged with and i think that 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 has a huge amount of positivity to it because because they've bought into a football club and if it has a message you know i think that they, the chances are they, they might listen to that message and engage with that the prison outreach as well uh, again for anybody who knows where the club is it is literally a stone's throw daily round down to mount joy you do um a community outreach with prisoners there as well yeah, we do a lot of work. I was led by, by uh, our foundation, which would be uh, Thomas Hines and Chris Bryan and, and Stephen Burke. And they've worked in the prison for a long number of years now. There's a whole load of programs that, that they've done in there. I know from working with the prisoners in terms of football coaching and our players going in. And there's a cup called the Conway Cup where each year there's a game played in Daily Mint where the prisoners come out for the day and play in our stadium. Right through to, I know, like before lockdown, Tommy Tiernan was in there at the invitation of the foundation to run one of his kind of his RTE show in the prison. Okay. Uh, it was fascinating. They, they do a, they have another piece where they do with um, prisoners in there and they cook, they cook a Christmas meal around Christmas time for old folks in the area and invite them in. So the club facilitates a huge range of activities in, in, in Mount Joy, again, using the football club. And, and that is the link in uh, to these guys in prison and, you know, the work they've done there. I know they took a group of, of, of uh, ex-prisoners and, and perhaps current prisoners, I'm not sure, over to Holland about three years ago to play in a tournament and they were playing as Ireland and they won the tournament. And there's a lot of work being done now, again, led by Thomas and, and Chris and Stephen and, and looking at, you know, the power that this has in terms of re- totally reducing reoffending rates, you know, and, and when, these, when, the, when these guys come out, some of them get involved with football clubs, you know, as coaches and use sport to kind of maybe move away from areas they've previously been involved in. So it's been really really like 
you know, really brilliant work doing them for, and doing for the, for the right reasons. Important thing with all of this work that I think football clubs historically, and, and we were maybe guilty of it for a time, you know, where they sometimes get involved in work uh, with an aim. And the aim is normally I'll try and get people to games. You know, it's really important that through any club or a sporting body that if you get involved in, in community outreach work, that it's done for the sole aim of doing good, mm. you know, and I find by doing that, you know, the work you do is, is, is honest and it's for the, totally for the right reasons. And what's kind of paradoxical is you, you, you find kind of over time that lots more people do start coming to the football club uh, and they do it because I think because they realize you're doing things for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really important thing because uh, sometimes clubs outreach work can be linked to marketing and, and it, it should never be linked to, shouldn't be, they should never cross over. They're totally separate things. Yeah. Yeah. And the stuff that the foundation does, I mean, there's a list here, school completion program, the Irish Prison Service, which you've touched on. There's a Garda Youth Diversion Project. You work with Age Action, Special Olympics Ireland, the Society of Vincent de Paul, local schools visited and being given coaching and advice on nutrition and healthy living. There's a walking football initiative in Ballymun for the over 50. As you said, summer and Christmas dinners hosted in Mount Joy. And the future plans, a drama workshop, extension, physical and mental health initiatives. I mean, you're really busy with all of this stuff as well as the football. It's that drive, I suppose, isn't it? To, to leave things better than you found them. Is that, is that really what it's about? Yeah, and ultimately, like, like I said at the start, because the football club, like normally if, you, if, you're in a, if you're in a football club that's owned by a private owner, there's, there's basically there's one, one main aim. Is to, is to make a profit. Mm. You know, that's the aim, make a profit. Or, or perhaps, and very often, when you think a big international club, you think of maybe someone like a Russian oligarch or something, it may just be ego reasons that they buy a football club to own the football club. Yeah. But it's one or the other. I think in a privately owned football club, either, the, it's, either it's a company or an individual who wants to make money, or it's a wealthy individual who sees this as a kind of a status symbol or a plaything. But a member's own club, success is actually passing the club on to the next group of people it's the fact that we're the oldest club in the league and that we've done this for 131 years and that hopefully that will continue for another 130 years. And along the way, we'll win trophies and we'll have good seasons and bad seasons. But success really is the continuation of the of the entity. And, you know, all the things that we've mentioned, I think that not only are they good things to do and the right thing to do, but they, they make it more likely that the football club remains and continues. And for those two reasons together, not only being the right thing to do and using football as a force for good, they help the continuation of the club. And I think the point we made earlier is that people have no real, it's sad to think of it, like, you know, there's obvious reasons why the Catholic Church has diminished in Ireland. You know, there's, there's obvious reasons, I suppose, why people have more transient working lives, which is quite sad. All these things that were constants, even family groups, you know, we talk about the start about Dublin 7, like people used to live historically in Ireland, like a vernacular society, to go back to the 1800s, where the community would help somebody build a home in rural Ireland and you'd live with your, you'd live with your, with your community people would help people build a cottage for they spent two days making it as a community now we've given over housing to financial corporations that derive profit for somebody's lifetime from where they live and for all of these reasons transient work life transient home life try, maybe detached from your family detached from the community where you, you grew up in literally you know one of the last remaining things is a football club that can give people a sense of place sense of identity and sense of purpose and Actually, real purpose isn't just from football. It can be derived from the kind of activities we've talked about there, being involved properly in social work. And I think that, that it makes us a better club for, for Bohemians and for the area, I think. I think that's, that's kind of why, why we're, we're so committed to it, really. 
suppose the moral of it really for me is that whatever your sphere of influence is, whatever your leverage is, that it is actually possible to make a difference. It is actually possible to make an impact because as we said, you don't have to do any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you could still exist as a football club without doing any of this stuff. But a decision has been made to say, well, we are of our community. So for us to be relevant in our community, we need to reflect back the community. I mean, Dublin 7 is very ethnically diverse, as you said, very transient. Certain parts of it are, as you said, your, your club is for life. Everything else, yeah, the only thing, you're guaranteed death taxes and your club. <laughs> Those three things are forever, I suppose. <laughs> and is, is there any kind of, any any sort of big plans coming up ahead for anything else that, uh, I don't know if you've got time for it all as well as the football, but but are there, are there any other sort of plans that we haven't sort of touched on? Is there anything that you would like to accomplish that we haven't touched on? Yeah, well, basically it's just to, to use, and we mentioned there, like in terms of, um, you know, diverse, uh, diverse group of people in Dublin 7, but in Ireland, I think the football, we, we made an application last year to the end of last year of 2020 to the National Integration Fund. We were successful, so we got we got three-year funding. We're launching the programme because football hasn't been able to take place with COVID. Mm-hmm. We're hoping to launch it in May. And this program, it's 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 really basic in in its structure, but I think it'll have a really big impact. And it's just taking adults from non-Irish backgrounds and bringing them into our into our coaching positions in our youth teams. And at the, at the, as well as them coming into coaching positions, we're gonna we've got a fund there where they can they can get coach education through the FAI and get to quite a, a high level of of coach education that's internationally recognised. So, you know, this is so, so many benefits here. Like as a club. You know, having coaches from lots of different backgrounds makes us more welcoming for kids from different backgrounds. Also, it, there's a social, uh, a social scene there for the coaches, where we can have coaches, you know, who, who develop friendships. They're they're improving themselves professionally in terms of you know a level of coach education that they can use, you know, around the world. And as well as that, then we're bringing groups of kids in, 25 kids a year, so 75 kids over the three years coming in to our teams from from non-Irish backgrounds no barriers to entry in terms of cost travel and again just making the club more representative mm. of of you know the new dublin and, and and the way things are you know across the city and uh really excited about that program i think the football you know like did, like there's lots of great sports in our like i grew up playing ga and i think it's a brilliant organization there's so much to be learned from it but i think ultimately when it comes to to a lot of people who arrive to ireland um you know from different parts of the world football has a lot of benefits the main one is it's a game they already know and understand um, but also there's very, very low barriers in terms of what's required to play football. So while, you know, you think of sports like maybe rugby or cricket or to an extent the GAA, although, although it's low enough there, there is equipment needed and a certain level of knowledge about the game. Whereas with, with football, you can take a, a kid or a family who may not have great English and they'll, they'll know the game totally. You know, they'll, know what, they'll know what the offside rule is. Exactly. <laughs> and they love the game already. But I think football can just play a, a big role in... Um, and thankfully in Ireland, like we, we brought it to refugees, welcome shirt. You know, racism in, in football in Ireland isn't a big problem. I won't say it doesn't exist, but mm-hmm. I think I think it's very, very it's it's, it's instances are very, very low, thankfully. Okay. That, the same can't be said though in the UK. Mm-hmm. Can't be said in, in particularly in Eastern Europe and in parts of Central Europe, you know, you look somewhere like Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what's really important is that you don't take that for granted. That you, you work on that and you make sure that that's never given a chance to. To take hold in Ireland and it's programs like that that really can be at the fore of that because you take young kids together when they're six seven eight nine yeah. they don't see any difference anyway no. so you remove yeah. that, that as a possibility before it can begin you also would bring sort of direct provision residents to games obviously when the restrictions allow it 
And that really struck me because last week's conversation, last week's podcast was also on direct provision. And they had mentioned that it was difficult to get people out of the centres. All of the organisations were going into the centres. So as you said, it's very important to bring everybody together in what is, I don't like the word normal, but on a football pitch where that, that's a standard acceptable way of being. You know what I mean? There's nothing special about it. There's nothing extraordinary about this is what normal everyday people do and, and allowing everybody access into it. Like that is so important. So I mean, that, that, that scheme does sound amazing to be fair. Yeah, and what's what's great about that scheme is that came from fans. Like there was there was uh, one of our members, Kevin Brannigan. He he kind of began that scheme, and initially he was just raising money, just walking around the, the stand, walking around the bars and in, in the football stadium, and asking people to donate. I remember going around with a bucket type thing, and people were donating, and it might might have been once a month, and it was once every couple of weeks. And then at the club, we saw it and said, "Oh, we'll we'll support this." So the club began to pay, um, and we take a percentage of profits from our jerseys to fund that. And uh, like you said, like we do a lot of work with people in direct provision and, and everything you've said there is to- totally correct. You know, it's getting out of the centres, you know, connecting with people. Originally, when we set up, we did a lot of learnings too. I remember like we were kind of keeping seats in the best part of the, you know, or, or not the best, but the middle middle part of the good view. And maybe said, oh, we should keep some seats here. And then we chat to say, Lucky Kambula from Massey or other people there. And they said, oh, no, we don't want to be put, don't want to be put together. We just want to come in like everyone else. Yeah. Again, we did lots of learnings as a club, you know, that, that, Ultimately, it's about just having freedom within this space because freedom's mm-hmm. taken away um, for most of the most of the rest of the week. You know, we have to conform and adhere to sit here, go here. So, you know, our relationship with Massey has really grown a lot. We've 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 done a lot, I think, for Massey, and they've kind of helped us in terms of, you know, maybe teaching us lessons about how best we can engage with with the immigrant community and 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 uh, even that football unites program. Like a lot of us designing that program came from learnings from Massey, from working with people and seeing. Mm-hmm. You know how 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 best to kind of facilitate them because that's what it's about it's just just giving a platform to allow, allow people to prosper themselves and not trying to kind of curate things yeah. for them you know thank you very much and i was actually i was watching a thing with uh michael d for his birthday and it was little clips of him after matches i think he said is he split between you and yeah it wasn't pats but he's also um he's on he's the honorary life president of galway united Yes, no, like he's in Dublin, right. he goes to Inchicore and the Fibsbury, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's always nice, do you know what I mean? That as you said, you've got you've got people from a direct provision centre can sit in the same totally. stand totally. as the president of the country. And totally. that's inclusivity really exactly, personified. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, any topics you'd like us to discuss or explore, feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.